Hello and welcome to Preparing Foster Youth for Adulting, the podcast designed to highlight strategies and resources that help youth in care transition to adulthood successfully. Our guests today are Angela Yautzi, Program Director at Olive Crest based in Silverdale, Washington, Betty Beatty, author, former foster youth, and consultant with MT Frames Initiative, which is based in Everett, Washington, and Carla Clayton, Senior Director of the Track Programs based in Dallas, Texas. Welcome everybody to our podcast series, Preparing Foster Youth for Adulting. I'm so glad that you all could join us today for this very important conversation about how we help young people in foster care aging or aged out of foster care, how do we help them acquire and maintain housing of their own? So before we get started with that conversation, I really would like everybody here to have the opportunity to introduce yourselves and your organizations. And so Carla, how about if I toss it to you first to share a little bit about yourself and your organization? Sure. So my name's Carla Clayton. I'm the senior director here at TRAC in Dallas, Texas. TRAC stands for Transition Resource Action Center, and we work with youth that have transitioned out of foster care and some homeless youth as well. Okay, fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us. Angela, how about you? Hi, I'm Angela Yautzi, and I'm a program director with Olive Crest. We have offices in Washington, California, and Nevada, and I run an office up here in Western Washington where We do foster care and independent living skills services for youth 15 up through typically about 23 as they age out of the foster care system. Wonderful. Thank you so much for being here. And Betty, how about you? Hi, my name is Betty Beatty. I'm an author, speaker, and a consultant, and I've been partnering with Empty Frames for over a year working on the story of foster care in volume two. I'm also a former foster youth, and I've worked in shelter and emergency housing for almost 10 years with the various orgs in the Puget Sound area, and primary work with homeless youth and at-risk youth trying to learn skills to obtain housing. Wonderful. Well, thank you all for the work that you do. I'm really interested to get your perspectives on this challenge. And it is a challenge. And that's how I want to get started today. I really want to dive into the problems that young people coming out of foster care face, or we're specifically thinking of the young folk who are aging out, how do we help them acquire and maintain and keep their own housing? And I don't necessarily mean that they buy a house for themselves. There are a lot of different avenues that young people can take, but how do we help them? But first, what are the challenges that they face? Why is it hard for them? This is Betty. I think not having knowledge about obtaining a lease, how to speak with landlords, also how to present income to landlords in order to obtain housing, and also working with systems in order to access housing that is available with resources in different communities. I would tack on to what Betty said that initial move-in expenses can be insurmountable for some of our youth when you look at first month's, last month's damage deposit They typically don't have that. And then we live in a military community. So the lack of credit and rental history can be very challenging for our youth when they're competing with military families or people who may have a credit history built up or a steady income from the military. Also, I would add vital documents. 
a lot of our kids have not gathered those. And so gathering those to be able to present with a rental application, that has also been work that our case managers have worked on. This is Carla. I'll add to that. Sometimes their credit is already negative because of bio parents or relatives that had their social. And so we spend some time cleaning some of that up with some volunteer attorneys that will help these young people get that straightened out. And also, I think we really encourage them to get employed because this market, especially in Dallas, and I'm sure it's like that all around, is very competitive. Even if I can provide you an FYI voucher, a foster youth initiative voucher, you're still going to need employment to secure that apartment and make that landlord happy. There are a lot of different reasons that these young people struggle. Mm -hmm. And so many young people today who aren't in foster care, and I'm not saying every young person's in this situation, but they have parents. And so many young people are just staying at home till they're 24, 25, 26. It's becoming rather common to see that. But these young people don't have that, and I'll call it a luxury. And so they have to be able to get out on their own so much faster than others do in their, you know, who are non-fostered. Sounds like that's what you're talking about is how do you get them ready by 18 or 21, you know, depending on the state and the programs that are available for extended foster care. But how do you get them ready for that in such a short period of time? Because they're not necessarily being taught these things by their foster parents, right? Right. And you hope, I mean, the PAL training, the preparation for adult living covers that in a 36 hour curriculum, right? So it's covered how to ready to rent kind of, but they had that when they were 16 or 17. And so to kind of pull that knowledge out, I have a housing navigator that has been a great asset to the team. And her job is to help young people utilize these FYI vouchers. And she goes out with them to the apartments and kind of coaches them on how to present themselves. And that has been a huge value to us and to the youth. And also we have them kind of go through another mini class of ready to rent. What does it look like to be a good tenant and a good neighbor, especially when they're 18, 19, and they don't understand the gravity of a lease and building credit. We've seen that with some youth that get ready at 18 and they get this voucher. And then four months later, they're evicted because of having too many people over, having parties, being too loud, all of that. So we really try to kind of break it down to just what does it mean to be a good tenant and be a good neighbor? Mm -hmm. And a good roommate, too, because chances are they're going to have to have roommates. Possibly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I was going to popcorn off of that. I like to work with them and talk about safe housing. What are the landlord-tenant laws? What does it look like for if you were in this house and this was your business? Being able to contact the landlord ahead of time when stuff is happening instead of waiting till the last minute. Just being very verbal and upfront with the landlords in order to keep the communication open so it doesn't become more of an issue. I know, especially with young people, having a lot of people around in housing and I mean, a lot of other kids too that can be couch surfing, like the safe housing part is really a huge part that I've seen a lot of young kids not have knowledge about. 
I would agree with that, that, you know, we talk to our kids about communication, communication, communication. That's maybe not always been their forte, but if there's a problem, don't wait to address it. Communicate with your landlord, with your case manager. I think one hurdle we've also seen, we talk to our kids a lot about, this is your safe space. And to that, you know, not bringing unsafe people over. If you're going to party, go somewhere else. Don't bring that to your house. But we've also seen some of our youth struggle with bringing their own family to live with them, who maybe historically hasn't been safe. But there's some family dynamics there that they feel a need to take care of a mom or dad or brother and sister, even when that may jeopardize their housing or a certain housing program they're participating in. And so also going back to those safe and healthy relationship dynamics and talking with them about how to set boundaries and what it looks like to maintain that stable housing. The landlord question is very difficult to overcome. And I know there are different models out there of nonprofits that work with landlords. Some of them have partner landlords that they provide information about this population and they just communicate very closely, but the young person is really on their own. They rented it themselves, but the landlord knows that this organization is supporting the youth and coaching youth. And then you've got organizations, nonprofits that pay the rent, and they're the fail-safe. If the young person doesn't follow through, the landlord knows that the nonprofit is going to be there in that worst-case scenario. What are your models as far as how you work with landlords, and what have you found to be effective? Well, I will say we started working with FYI about two years ago, and that's a voucher that the public housing authority actually gets, but we provide case management for those youth to get them through the application and find the housing and kind of what Carla was speaking of. We have a housing coordinator, and when we first jumped into this, the housing authority gave us their list of Section 8 housing and landlords who typically will accept housing authority vouchers, and we just decided to throw it out the window that we didn't want that for our youth. We wanted better. We wanted them to live in places that we would be comfortable dropping our kids off at. To that effect, our housing coordinator started helping youth look for apartments or houses, and she would accompany them to look at the house and help advocate to that landlord. And we created a flyer And she very effectively learned to communicate the benefits to the landlord coming out of COVID in Washington. You couldn't evict people. So the housing authority pain was appealing, but also talking to them about how they could impact a youth's life and impact our community. What we've found is we've grown to a list of about 15 to 18 landlords or property managers that will rent to our youth and places that we're really proud to put youth in. But it's been a lot of that advocacy work on behalf of our youth. Carla or Betty, how about you? How do you work or have you worked with landlords? I would say that I am kind of similar and just I'm pretty knowledgeable about how to access different neighborhoods, like teaching them about neighborhoods, like kind of just depending on even like the bus system, working with them, like just kind of depending on the situation that they're going to be exiting into and trying to help them create the life that they're trying to live (laughs) And working with different landlords and depending, just like she had said, you find different landlords that are willing to reach out to you when they have available units and like just depending on where it's located and what youth or client that you're servicing, being able to get them placed and also just not just the tenant having 
a relationship with the landlord, but being able to create the relationship also of like, if there is issues that like we can try to address those before it becomes where we can't mediate past a situation. Yeah, ours is very similar. We have great relationships with our landlords and that's probably the key to getting and giving grace to a young person that may have made a wrong choice. And we can get in there and do some mediation. And I think case management is a huge piece to the puzzle to make this kind of successful. You don't know what you don't know. One youth I remember, she bolted down to the office and she said, there's something wrong with my kitchen sink. And I go, okay, what's wrong with it? It just keeps running out, you know, from the bottom of the cabinet. I said, did you call in a maintenance request? And she just closed the door and came to track. And so we hurriedly went back and showed her where to cut off the water. But it's that little stuff that they don't know what they don't know. And so it's navigating that terrain with them. Has anybody ever created a notebook that has instructions? Troubleshooting for your apartment 101, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) Does anybody, has anybody ever created a notebook like that where they're like, oh, kitchen sink. Okay, kitchen, kitchen sink. And then they can, you know, turn off water. Here's where it may be, different possibilities. I'm just wondering if that could be helpful. Yeah, that's a great idea, you know, because it's the how-tos. It might need to be an app nowadays, right? With, with yeah, that's true. I'm old school. Yeah. Give me a notebook. I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> Write it down. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But that's a good point, an app for something. I wonder if something like that exists out there. Not that I've seen, but I think it's Not, a great idea. Yeah, that is a great idea. Not to my knowledge either that I can think of. It might be something yeah. I have to think of more. <laughs> How do I create this? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. I love it. I love. I made a big star next to that here. <laughs> Look at us just solving problems here. Oh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> so what's the selling point? I imagine it might be tough to get buy-in from landlords to rent to young people who don't have a credit history. They've never taken care of an apartment before. And whatever preconceived notions they have about young people coming out of foster care, What have you found to be effective as far as kind of getting that buy-in and selling the idea of renting to youth in foster care, coming out of foster care? Well, I like what Carla was saying about the case management. I found that as we explain to landlords the case management and the support that our youth have, that we are there for them to call. We don't want this housing to disrupt. We want to support and educate our youth in learning just what you talked about, right? Your first apartment 101. But I think that buys landlords a lot of assurance that there is someone to call. There is someone to help. They're not in it alone helping this youth through it. That has certainly felt warm and fuzzy for a lot of the landlords we've worked with. I know I've seen different landlords really jump on the part of when it is a voucher that's going to cover the rent and just being able to explain the program to them and like how the program works. Because I know sometimes the beginning of the program can be difficult for landlords to navigate through. So just giving them the open communication of like how it works and also just creating that back and forth dialogue with them of like how I'm going to interact or like how I'm going to be helping the youth interact and learning in this process as they're going out on their own has been really helpful for me. But it's really been in my experience of 
knowing how to utilize the certain program that I am using in order to help somebody get placed. Okay. What about offering trauma-informed care, even an abbreviated overview for landlords? Has anybody done that? I've heard of other nonprofits doing that. I'm just curious if you've ever tried that. I think to extent, you'd be surprised. Some landlords come to us and say, you know, I want to help these youth that are aging out of foster care. You know, we love that because they have their heart in it, right? Yeah. And yeah. and that becomes an easier sell. And we also kind of help the youth with strategic storytelling, putting themselves when they're in front of a landlord and just being real strategic and utilizing those resilient skills that they have to help sell that to a landlord. We've had pretty good luck with the landlords that take all of our youth and we have rapid rehousing with HUD funding and we pair that up kind of with the voucher. So when rapid rehousing is fixing to end, we can transfer that to a voucher, an FYI voucher or a family unification voucher we've done before. And that just kind of gives more of that extended care because the FYI voucher is 36 months. And that's not a long time when you don't have your GED and you're working a job that maybe pays $15 an hour. We try to find that best affordable voucher for our young people that will give them that time to get ahead of their employment, to get into a good living wage job. Is that voucher directly paid to the landlord? How does that work? The FYI voucher? Yeah. It's through the housing authorities, uh-huh. and the housing authorities pay the landlords. They pay directly to yeah, the landlords. Yes, it goes direct to the direct deposit after they've signed up. And then it's uh, the initial starting that I've seen can be sometimes longer than what a landlord would want. But after it's been already set up, the, I mean, it's the first of the month, every month that goes into their bank account. I imagine a landlord's like the guarantee of that. Yes, yes. they do. That's one of my selling points. So it sounds like maybe that awareness for landlords to recruit landlords is really the key because by letting landlords know about the challenges that these young people face, let's say you present it to 100 landlords, there might be eight that say, wow, that really touches my heart and I want to do that as a community service. I want to do that to help these young people. So how do you get word out to the landlords about the situation that that your young people are in and the kind of help that they need? We accompanied youth as they went to look at the apartment or home and just accompanied them to meet them right then. It also helped to meet property managers who have a more expansive housing selection and letting them see the difference that they're making. And even with getting FYI, I mean, there's bumps, it's a process. And I think for landlords having someone to call when they're having questions about, well, why isn't the voucher here or how long until it's approved? Just having that case management has been a helpful intermediary, even when you're not solving the problem. It's just a touch point that feels safe and like someone is on it and we're following up. I was going to say also just in cold calling and working with landlords, looking at the unit. And I mean, I usually present a different program that I'm working with as I'm meeting with the landlord in order to just talk more about the program and have the interest in it of like face-to-face so it's not somebody can hang up on me. 
but I've also worked with landlord engagement projects. So I had some knowledge of like also how to recruit landlords and like seeing different landlords in the community coming to want to help people get housed and start being able to get on their feet. That's what I've experienced. I think one other thing that's benefited us here in Washington State, we have the Independent Youth Housing Program for foster youth also. With that, we can do landlord incentives. So we've incentivized landlords every time they sign a new lease with a youth, they get, you know, that thousand dollars or whatever. And that also helps cover some worry about damage or different things that, Mm -hmm. that weigh in their mind. Yeah, they could add it as kind of an extra security deposit for that apartment. Yeah. And also in Washington, they also have, through the legislation, they have different laws that are created if there is a damage done and you're using housing vouchers to make sure the landlord knows that if that was to happen, that they would be able to apply and receive their money back up to, I want to say it's $5,000. I think so. Kind of an insurance in a way. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's passed through legislation. Oh, okay. Would be nice if that were in every state. Yes. Yeah, it's it's, <laughs> it's definitely in Texas. I think in Dallas and some of the larger areas to have the continuum of care, which is part of the HUD funding consortium, if you will, and they have partnered with us, especially with those incentivizing landlords. You know, if a young person had been in rears, there's a program that I can tap into and pay down that debt for that young person. So they're getting very creative with how to kind of remove some barriers to housing. Wow, that's great. And how do you get the money for these vouchers to begin with? Do you have to apply? It's coming from HUD. Right, but how do you get it? Well, we get money through the continuum of care for our HUD-funded housing programs. The FYI vouchers are specifically for youth that have transition or experienced foster care. And that comes from the housing authority. So does every young person aging out of foster care get a voucher? I would imagine it's limited funding. I can't imagine every young person gets one. They're really watching the utilization rate with housing authorities. So they're wanting the housing authorities to really utilize these vouchers. I work with Mesquite Housing Voucher and Tarrant County Housing Authority. And if they use up 25 vouchers, then they have to request HUD like 10 more or five more. Okay. So HUD's really watching and making sure that this program is being utilized, if that makes sense. Yes. Yes, it does. Because it could inform how much money they put out there in the future. Correct. Yeah. Landlords, I know we're supposed to talk about helping the young people live on their own. But landlords is such a big part of this equation because you need to have the apartments. I mean, the chances of a young person being able to buy their own home initially, it happens. You can have some extremely motivated young people who are good savers, but I would imagine that's rare. So apartments are going to be the likely place they're going to start. Another part I would imagine is helping young people understand how to live with roommates. I know we've talked about them being a good neighbor and so forth, How do you help them find roommates? How do you help them make sure that their roommates will be compatible? Or is that a challenge for any of us? What is your perspective on that angle of things is ensuring that they can share the expenses with someone who they can work with in that regard? I would say just adding in the parts of trying to help them learn boundaries. 
and like the responsibilities of if that other person is consistent in employment, <laughs> like looking at different factors of going into a lease when the other person does not have the rent, it's not, you can't just back out of it. So like teaching them about the lease is really important, I think. And just kind of looking at the factors of like, how does that person live also? And like, can they live together? I know sometimes you're not in a situation where you can really be picky, but just trying to create an atmosphere where you're not relocating yourself and you're not putting yourself further in a position in the future is one of the things that I always talk with youth about. Well, and also factors into like just learning about themselves and what does their ideal life look like? Right, exactly. I wonder, I've got another idea here. Shoot it down if it doesn't sound good, but roommate matching is always a challenge. But kind of like the landlords who see an opportunity to help young people aging out of foster care and that they want to provide that service, would it not be possible to find maybe older, I don't mean older, like 60 years old, but someone who's in their upper 20s, maybe former foster youth who have found a place to live? that there might be some kind of app or website that we could match these young people with a potential roommate who understands the issues and is wanting to help? I think there's a matching organization that approached City Square and shared housing is pretty big in New York and California where the fair market rate is really, really high. And so there is an art. It's, you know, they do kind of a questionnaire for both. We don't have shared housing. We just kind of have the single occupant. And with these vouchers, they can add to their household. So if they have a boyfriend or a girlfriend, they can add that to the household every year for the certification. But for the FYI voucher, their partner's income is included in the overall household income. And so the FYI voucher has a income threshold that is pretty low for a single person here in Dallas. I don't know what it is in Washington, but they can't make over $19,000 a year to get into this program. Do y'all have that problem? Most of our youth that are participating in FYI, yes, have low income. Partner roommate is included. And I would just add, I hunch A lot of our youth, they've lived in multiple foster homes. They've had some chaotic experiences. And when they move into their own home and their own place, you just kind of see them take a breath and relax a bit. And we've even had some of them say like, I've been waiting 18 years for this, Mm -hmm. just my own safe space. Yeah. And while I think there are benefits to roommates and you know, sometimes there's mental health reasons that's a good thing. I think a lot of our youth just value their own space for a while. I can understand that. I totally agree. That's what I see. And they'll self-select their own kind of family or roommates. But it would be a real challenge to do kind of what dorms do. You know, big college dorms is they do this roommate matching for a youth that has been exposed to some complex trauma that would make it a little more challenging for them. I would think so too. Well, just that whole navigation of moving on your own and like also of the responsibility of your life is now your life. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
I was going to say, we have a, we call it our transitional housing program, but it's a house that we have private funds that pay for that can house two or three young adults at a time. But it brings in a lot of different dynamics when there's roommates and just things that our kids do, right? Oh, I gave my keys to this guy. Well, your other two roommates don't feel safe with him having keys to the house. There's just a lot of things that they're still learning in terms of responsibility and how to have disagreements. And we all still live here. Nobody is leaving and we work through it. But when we talk about positive relationship skills, we do a lot of that work when they're rooming together and living in that home all together. Relationships is so key to being on your own. (laughs) I mean, it almost seems counterintuitive, but truly you need to be able to build a relationship, an effective one, a healthy one with your landlord, with your neighbors, with your community, to be able to be a good citizen, to be, you know, really to have a happier life. I think you have to have those relationships. So it's not just all of the you know, here's how you fix a toilet and here's how to turn off the water under your sink. There's also that relationship component. It's the emotional component and how to handle, you know, situations that might get you upset. Absolutely. One that we've worked on is employer relationships that when you quit or are fired, it matters how you leave. With FYI, our youth have to go back and get an end of employment letter and that's been challenging in some situations. So learning that how we end things is just as important as how we start them. Yeah, it's a good lesson. Well, and just the concept of also community. I mean, we create communities in every area of our life. So it's adding in those positive aspects and going into that positive mindset of how do I want my community to look? Do young people coming out of foster care crave a community? They want their own space, but at the same time, Do they crave a community? I think in certain ways that they do. I mean, I think it's a human nature that we all want to belong somewhere. I mean, I think that's why it's also easy to get caught up doing different things when people are doing things that they really shouldn't be doing because people are looking for acceptance. They're looking for belonging, especially coming from places where you've kind of been shuffled around. If you're taught those different things before you're exiting out of a program, if they were actually housed, I think it is more of a concrete suggestion and like just learning those things. But I know I've worked with a lot of youth that transitional living or sheltered, those different places just weren't a place that they felt they fit in. So I've just really tried to help them try to figure out like how they fit in and why they feel like they're fitting in in certain areas. I agree with Betty. I think it's something that they desire and it's something that they're still building skills around. What does that look like? How do I engage in that, sustain that? And what do I want that to look like? You know, coming through foster care. Yeah, we don't know that stuff coming out. No. Yeah, we don't know it coming out of the chute. Yeah. No. And being in foster care, their community has been decided for them. They have not had an opportunity to necessarily decide what that looks like for Mm -hmm. them. Well, and also just being able to create language around even housing, I mean, even domestic violence, like just being able to create the language of how people can understand, especially youth, like certain situations that they're in, I've found to be really helpful. Being able to create a safe environment to go into their own house and learning those things. I'm not saying that people don't go back into those situations, but language has been really something that I've grabbed onto working with young people that they understand versus 
nobody understands me. Let me ask this question. There are a lot of strategies for helping these young people acquire and maintain housing. We've talked about some of them. What can the foster care system do better? What are opportunities for improvements to help these young people get their own housing so that they don't end up homeless or couch surfing or whatever the case may be? I would love to see the SIL program, which is the Supervised Independent Living. Here in Texas, at least, it's very much cherry-picked youth. So it's the youth that are not in RTCs or, you know, they don't have the complex mental health issues or behavioral issues. I would love to see SIL starting at 17 for some of these youth that are in RTCs and get them starting to see the reality that's going to be before them. For those who might not know, what does RTC stand for? Residential Treatment Centers. Carla, I feel like we're the same person in two different states. I was going to say <laughs> I that. I love that. That's great. <laughs> I know here, here in Washington, they are looking at the SIL, getting some independent housing options, supervised independent living for you know some of our 16 and 17-year-old youth who desire that and aren't necessarily fitting and lasting in family home environments. I think some other things we're looking at include getting our youth bank accounts in their own names at a younger age. You know, to the point about credit that we mentioned earlier, that they have some control of their money and there's not a foster parent, birth parent, social worker that can hold that over them. And I know in Washington, we're talking about changing some of the WACs, which are Washington administrative codes, looking at how restrictive the WACs have been with some of our adolescent youth. When they're in foster care, we go from they can't administer their own ibuprofen up until 17 and 364 days. And on 18, we want them to be independent and managing quite a lot of things. And so I think looking at how do we give some gradual freedoms as youth are aging to prepare them for that self-monitoring when they are living independently? For example, you could give them, some people might cringe, but give them a credit card and help them learn how to use it responsibly so that one, when they do age out, if they age out, they have some credit history, but they've also learned that responsibility and control. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, and seeing it also, I think for a young person and like being able to have somebody help you walk through those things. I mean, I know it's easy, especially with credit, you can swipe, but like when you're having people to talk to about those different concepts of credit and how to build it and how to like maintain it, I think is uh, helpful for you to just be able to relate to a situation and not just get stuck and be like, oh no, how do I get out of this? (laughs) Yeah. I think also the foster care system could do a better job at putting something in place to protect the young person's social security number. Yeah and make sure that they have a birth certificate at their fingertips. I mean, I think there's some paperwork things that could definitely be improved. Yes. Well, even to the app suggestion that someone had of having an app that youth have access to those things for at their disposal, not having to come back to a case manager or social worker, say, can I get another copy of my birth certificate or license? Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And just teaching them how to get and how to do and make an electronic copy for especially IDs because they are easily lost and our youth will lose them. 
if we have the photocopy, we can easily get a replacement without mm -hmm. all these supporting documents. That's true. I think there's a lot of opportunities for improvement. Not that social workers have a ton of time to do these things. I'm not, I don't have any answer of how it would happen, <laughs> but there's a lot of things that could be done if some creative people could get together and figure it out. Yes. Yes. Totally absolutely. agree. That's the challenge. Who does it? Who pays for it? You know, and part of it is I certainly don't want to put everything on the foster parents, but there certainly are some things that the foster parents could be done if they're held accountable to it, but they're not held accountable to helping young people get ready to live on their own. I know that, and I'm hoping maybe Washington and the other area have, we have a great permanency court in Dallas that started about four years ago. And this one judge alone has made huge amount of difference in preparing youth that are aging out. So she's done a great job of bringing resources to court, you know, yeah. how to fill out this FAFSA. Well, here's someone from Dallas College that can help you with that. And so that has made a huge difference in getting all the professionals that want to help these youth transitioning and getting them to come together for them. Yeah. The CASA program and Guardian ad litems, it seems like a natural fit. Yes, yes. For what they do. I would also, I, at least here in Washington, we do a 17 and a half staffing with the youth prior to them aging out. Like 18 is coming, what are we doing? But mm -hmm. starting to do that planning earlier, we see kids starting yeah. at age 15 in our independent living skills program. You know, from 15 to 17, it's kind of like that's not coming, that's not coming. And then 17 and a half, you have six months left and let's start planning for it. I'd right. love to see us case planning sooner and preparing kids sooner. And actual case planning with a young person involved, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. And not just Empower having them. <laughs> the case manager write down, you know, what no. they think should happen. Not just the adults around the table making the goals, but yes. really what is the kid thinking and what do they want? What do we need to tackle? Well, it's also, it's critical for them to learn how to advocate for themselves. So, I mean, those are components of being able to age out of like, I mean, even if you aren't aging out of foster care, learning how to advocate for yourself. That comes up in so many different topics yeah. in the podcast. It is a thread that runs through all of them. So that's something that could be coached. Yes. Right. I think that's the best way to do it is coach. You can't sit them in the class and teach them how to advocate for themselves. You have to right. have them, you know, tell them what they can do, demonstrate what they can do, have them do it, talk about what went well, what didn't go well, how they could do it differently, and then have them try again. Yes. Well, I think too, that's probably why it's important also for them to like learn so much about like the laws of landlord tenant rights. I've seen situations where it actually is not the person's fault. It's actually the landlord violating different laws. And when they don't have that knowledge, you're less likely to be able to respond in a positive way because you're shutting down because you don't have access to that information and you aren't trusting your decisions on what you think, what you know. Yeah. Well, I think I could probably talk about this for another hour, but unfortunately our time is coming to a close. But really quickly, what I'd like to do before we do finish our conversation today, I'd like to ask each of you, if you had one piece of advice that you would want to give to nonprofits that are working with young people aging out of foster care, maybe they're starting a housing program, maybe they're launching their nonprofit. What piece of advice would you give in regard to helping these young people get housing? 
I'm going to go with, I would help you trust their decision, help them learn to empower themselves and learn how to advocate for their situations. Just giving them that courage and that information is key to helping them get into better positions in their life. Excellent. Thank you. Angela or Carla? I would definitely allow a young person to have some autonomy when they're 18. And I think that's real important not to have a heavy structured program, but to allow them to learn how to structure their days. And I think we pride ourselves here at Track to have a very low barrier to housing. And that works for us because we want a young person to make some little mistakes, but learn from those mistakes, why there's a safety net, why there's us here to kind of walk through that. So I think you got to have the ability to allow them the autonomy to make some of their own schedule, of their own goals, and be that coach and that cheerleader and see what happens. Excellent advice. Let them stretch their wings, try things out. Thank you. Angela, how about you? What advice would you give? Well, I guess I'd give two things. The first would be, don't be afraid jump in and do it. That's kind of how we started and we learn along the way. But I think when I think of housing and HUD, it seems large and it's not. Reach out (laughs) to your housing authority, your office of homeless youth. They are a wealth of resources. And then for the actual work, I have just found it is super important to have a case manager who is just working on housing with kids that is there to advocate to the landlords, to build up our repertoire of partners, And then is that soft place to land or for a kid to call when their sink is leaking and they don't know what to do, but someone who is available for all of those things and to do the troubleshooting that comes when you have kids 24-7 living on their own and still needing some of that adult direction. But it's been great. Seeing kids get housed and feel successful has been well worth setting the program up and the work that we've done. So don't hesitate. Don't hesitate. Don't, Don't hesitate. And don't really predict because you never know what youth is really going to just take it and run with it. And because that's what we've seen. We've seen youth that we're like, okay, we're not too sure. And then they come back two, three years and they still have their housing voucher. They're coming back to tell us what's going on in their world. And so that's kind of what Angela said. It's real rewarding when you see that and you see a young person get it. Absolutely. Can I share a story of just some of the benefits that we see, Lynn? Sure. Yeah. Let's land the plane with that. Okay. I was just going to say, you know, with, as our kids have gotten FYI vouchers, we have strongly encouraged them to save a part of their money while this extra money is being poured in. You know, saving money is hard. We never know. But one of our youth called and said, I got a flat tire. And that is usually a crisis, right? They had work to get to, They're usually calling their case manager to come out, help. Can we pay for a tire? And the case manager got ready and they said, no, no, I already took care of it. I called Les Schwab. They came out, changed the tire. I had the money in my savings account. Like you told me, I paid it and I still got to work on time. And for us, that was a huge win. It wasn't a crisis. They didn't lose their job because they didn't make it. They were able to be equipped to handle it themselves. It's just so encouraging to me that that is what stable housing can do for our kids. And that is what that assistance parlays them into taking responsibility for those other adult 
things that they're dealing with. Wow, that's fantastic. I love that we close with that story. Thank you so much. Yeah. And thank you all. Thanks, Carla, Angela, and Betty for being here today. Like I said, we could have probably gone on for another hour easily (laughs) talking about this topic, but I really appreciate your time and sharing what you did. And I look forward to staying in touch with you over time and seeing how your programs evolve and develop. For today, thank you so much. I so appreciate it. Thank you. Thank Thank you. Thank you for having us. Well, you're very welcome. And for those who have listened to the podcast to the very end, thank you very much for doing so. We put out a podcast every couple of weeks or so. You can find them on our website, agingoutinstitute.org, and just look for the podcast link in the menu. But we also send our podcast to pretty much any podcast platform, so you can find us there, Preparing Foster Youth for Adulting. Thanks so much again for listening. Until next time.